Hello and welcome to the Right Sweat Podcast, the writing podcast for fun fiction, friend fiction, and fan fiction. My name is Jesse and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-hosts, Jen and Leah. Hey. What's up, guys? Not too much. So I thought that for today, uh, we might we might change things up a little bit different, maybe uh, focus just on one topic this week as opposed to uh, talking about things we've written or reading our favorite things. Not that there's anything wrong with those, obviously. Uh, and I thought that this week we would talk about giving and receiving feedback or criticism. It's a thing we all have to deal with in our writing, things we have to deal with in our personal life, in our professional life, in our whatever life. And sometimes it's hard to know how to deal with that. I was kind of curious what what we could uh, figure out. It's particularly hard in our, like, whatever life. So let me get this straight. We're not going to talk about the chilling adventures of Sabrina for an hour? I think we could um, give some positive or some negative feedback, some constructive criticism, some constructive feedback on... The Christmas special. The Christmas special, which was fine. It reminded me of those, like, BBC... It did remind me of that, too, which I honestly have always wanted the United States to do more of. So props, Netflix. I get confused by, like, the canonality of those, if they're ever, like, real or not. Because sometimes they're not. And then sometimes, like, that's like on Doctor Who when they change the Doctor. So it's, like, very important. But it's, like, I never, I skip those. But that didn't happen in Sabrina. It's the same Sabrina. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Jen, why don't you tell us a little bit about your feelings about uh, criticism or feedback? Well, you know, like anyone... Sometimes it's rough uh, to receive or even it's honestly pretty hard to give Uh criticism. And I've been learning that a lot lately in my professional life, Mm -hmm. that it is a challenge to to tell someone something negative, you know, and you don't want to be a jerk. I don't feel like like I want to be a jerk or makes I don't want to make someone feel bad. I want to help them improve. And so you have to navigate how to give feedback in a way that makes them feel encouraged instead of discouraged. And I think for me, that would be the difference between good and bad criticism, like criticism that's valuable versus criticism that's useless, is mm-hmm. whether or not it makes you feel encouraged to do better. Or yeah, I feel like try. the way, and I don't quite know where this is from, if this is from the business world or this is from how academia is like a strange cannibalistic host on itself, but it feels like the discomfort of feedback or criticism has become now a thing where when you're giving it, or a lot of times when it's getting given to you, it's being done in some sort of like tough love way, which I don't quite understand how we all got on board with tough love as a as a society because <laughs> it, it it doesn't make any sense. It's it's an oxymoron almost in itself. Well, when you say tough love, what do you what kind of tough love do you mean? I think he means that like straight shooter, tell it like it is. You know, I'm just gonna rip the bandaid off and tell you what I think. Yeah. So, like, I'm just going to be real with you, Jesse. Like, your performance sucks. I think there's a time and a place for it, but I think there's, like, one time and one place for it. Like, when you've exhausted every other option (laughs) and all you can really do, you've scoped the person out and you've figured out, oh, this dumb-dumb, this is the only way they're going to respond to anything is I just beat them on the head once and then calm down. But I think people go from the very beginning, like, I'm a jerk, and that's just kind of who I am. And (laughs) yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's Doesn't not get a, you anywhere. That's not a good... So let's yeah. scale it back and actually get a little more specific to our writing. What sort of things do you like feedback on? Do you actually want someone's opinion on what it is that you're writing, or do you just simply want an edit? Oh, yeah, I mean, if we're talking proofreading, that's a whole different... Yeah, I know that's not criticism. Yeah, um, 
and that usually that'll just be when I'm almost done with something and Mm -hmm. it's, it just needs to be uploaded or submitted or whatever. And I need that last, that last see through maybe two phases from done in my mind. Like I've done what I can do. I've hit that wall. It's mostly there. All the pieces are there. It's not too unfinished. And I just need that, that not last idea, but just that, that outside person to finally come in and kind of break out of a, you know, the wall you build up around yourself while writing and the tunnel vision. See, I don't like getting feedback at all until it's a done, done project. Yeah. When it's sewing or when it's another creative thing, if I need help, I'll, I'll ask someone for guidance. But like when it comes to writing and those sort of things, I would so much rather like the, the idea of us doing the readings during nano scared me. I think, yeah. And, and it doesn't get really any easier. I mean, it has to, I'd imagine uh, if you're a part of a, writing circle or you're in an MFA program, but I can't imagine it ever really gets all that easier. And that's the thing I want to talk about a little bit later is what alternate examples we might have that we'd be into for a feedback model. Cause I think similar to sort of taking tough love for granted, I think when it comes especially to writing, we've all just assumed that the workshop method is the best method where, mm-hmm. like you said, it's just the same where you, you read to a group of people they tell you what they feel about it. You're not really allowed to respond or if you do, it doesn't really matter because they already have their opinion. And then you do what you can do with essentially somebody talking at you about something that you've written. And I think that's helpful. And I also think it's not helpful. I think it's, but I think we've, we've backed ourselves into a wall a little bit. I've been kind of curious what, what we would want that to look like eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, what does it look like Jen, when you do write-ins or when you do those big group events? Well, the majority of those events are really just getting together to write and we aren't looking at mm-hmm. each other's writing. Um, it's really just more of like an accountability thing. Uh, and honestly, just sitting in a community who are and writing together, it keeps you keeps you writing. And so that's like the value of those events. So I've only ever really been part of one writing club where we actually did look at each other's writing and give each other feedback. And um you know, I trusted the entire group. We all had different writing styles and different opinions. And so, but we all trusted each other and liked each other. So when someone said something negative to me, I still trusted them to be giving me that because they wanted to see me do better. And so it didn't ever hurt my feelings. I was, I never went home like, oh no. Um, And, you know, I could also felt like I could judge pretty well whether or not the feedback was useful to me based on what I wanted to achieve through my writing, you know, just because I, trusted that person's insight so for me that's the biggest part is I don't really care if we're workshopping or if I'm you know having one editor look at it or whatever I need I just need to trust that person to want to see me do good and you know not just want to tear me down because it makes them feel good um so I mean I've been in writing classes where I felt like uh criticism that I received from classmates had nothing to do with you know making me succeed you know I felt like it was just honestly, like compulsory oh, criticism because they were required to give it or criticism because they yeah. didn't like me, you know, well, you'd hope stuff like something that. like that. You just avoid the situation altogether. I mean, in an academic setting, you kind of have to take your lumps about it. You can't get out of it, but yeah. So with your writing circle, what sort of feedback do you look for? Are you looking for structure? Are you looking for tone? What kind of questions do you want asked of you? Well, actually, my writing circle, we were really pretty good about actually focusing the type of feedback we gave. 
So we would have like Sunday meetings where the feedback focus was tone, yeah. where the feedback focus was plot twists. And we knew in advance that that was the kind of thing we were going to talk about. So we brought the writing that we thought could benefit the most from that type of feedback. Or sometimes she would surprise us, our um, organizer, she would surprise us by changing it up on us. And that was actually good because it, you know, got you surprising feedback. I don't know. So, you know, it, it varied. But I think for me, the the most valuable feedback uh-huh. that I'm always looking for in my writing is um, structure. It's my weakness with writing. Oh, you mean like the actual beginning, middle of end or all that sort of tissue in between. Right. And I've actually never had someone read from beginning to end an entire story. So who knows how good or bad that structure is, but just the structure of even just a single, not not even a single chapter. I guess I just, what does your, uh, what's your concern with your structure? Truly. I get really wrapped up in my characters and their dialogue and the events that are unfolding and I sometimes can't really tell how much time is passing. Oh, okay. I kind of, I get, I get lost. And so I can't tell yeah. if it, the pa- the pacing, that's it. I can't tell if the pacing is off or not. It's just, it just, just eludes me. It's impossible for me to, you know, discern that at all when I'm writing. So I need someone else's insight because I just cannot see yeah, it. Yeah, you get a little bit too much into what you're doing there. and mm-hmm. It's really hard. And I mean, if I go back to something I wrote a long time ago, a lot easier but when i'm in the middle i cannot see yeah well that's one of those things too that it's 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 maybe the one of the unfortunate things about getting constructive or helpful criticism is you you kind of can't sit in there and wait for it because just the nature of of writers a lot i know at least personally is if i go i've been in the tunnel i'm going to put this down for six weeks show it to some people figure it out i'm just not going to ever look at it again too (laughs) Um, so I think that might be a little bit of a part of the the workshop model or other issues I've ever had with criticism is that you you live in it and then you continue living in it, but in a different a different way, yeah. mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. I do know that that thing you were talking about earlier about who you who you listen to and whose criticism you not listen to because you are listening to everyone, but whose criticism you take to heart. And that's also such a difficult thing to learn. I think for a long time you assume, not that everyone's either like there to help you, but you know, you might have an imposter syndrome issue. You might feel a little bit out of your element or whatever. And you assume these people are all smarter than you. And then you, you have to kind of figure out who you can parse down. Cause it's not always, you can't always take everyone's advice. Yeah, definitely. And I know away from, like academic writing, I know that's a big thing I've had to deal with in the professional field is I've had a lot of work that just clients have to look at and I'll always know I'm going to get the same feedback from the same clients on the same thing. And I could say, all right, I've heard you and I made the corrections and not change a thing. And they'll be like, okay, it looks perfect now. (laughs) So that, that person's feedback while it's, while I respect it and listen to it, it's, we know what it is, you know, sometimes it's just feedback for the sake of feedback. Exactly. The compulsory feedback where people feel it's necessary to give it. And so they do, but they don't really have anything to say. They're just kind of doing it to do it. What about in this situation, especially in in professional settings, because I've had this happen before and it was so frustrating where you don't get any feedback Yeah, where the you're just sort of shouting into the void where you have something that you spend a lot of time and a lot of your energy on and the response is cool. Oh my oh, god, I know good. exactly what that's like. I hate it. It's just like 
all right, I need feedback. I need input. Uh, do you have any criticism on how this like project went? And then all they say is, it was good. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, just even if you want to tell me that like, oh, uh, there was a typo there at the end, just so I know that you got all the way through it and you didn't just see that you received it and let's put it in the other pile of papers. I mean, seriously, like even one time, one of the uh, feedback that I received at work was that the colors of my presentation were <laughs> bad. And I actually agreed with that person. And it was just funny because I'm like, thank God I got real feedback. I can use that. You actually had something to say. I'm so excited. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the thing though, about <laughs> the compulsory feedback is like, if you really don't have anything to say, you shouldn't fake it. So I guess I'm being, I'm ex- expecting two different things here, but yeah, it's funny that for me, that that minute kind of feedback was so useful and like, meaningful to me because I'm so used to receiving just a blank. Oh, it's good enough. It's perfect. You know? Yeah. Well, everything you do, Jen, is perfect. That's so true. How I guess, you, you know, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> it's all coming together now. I understand perfectly why I never get feedback. Yeah. All right. Podcast done. End. See you guys next week. <laughs> so I think we're all kind of in agreement that feedback should be it's not always, but should be sort of given with the idea that you want to help improve whatever it is that you're giving feedback on or whatever it is you're asking for criticism on. I know professional can be do what you want with it or not, but when you're writing, what do you do with bad feedback? What do you do when, when someone just honestly, not to be mean, um, says, you know, it's not working. Cause I think there was, I've hit points in my own writing where I know it's not working. Someone has told me it's not working and I don't really want to give it up because then I have to start over. Then all that, like, what do, what do you do when it's not what you want to hear? I guess you have to assess for me, I would have to assess if really cared. I guess if I cared so much about the story that I'm just going to continue because I'm enjoying myself yeah. Or if the feedback matters a lot because I want it to work and that is my priority. So I will make a change so that it will work. It's I have to decide which one of those is like the right path for me. Yeah. And I guess I guess a way to sort of curb that that is a luxury you might not have sometimes if you're in a workshop class or you're in a professional setting is coming in with, hey, feedback giver, here are the things I have issues with. Look at that and answer that. Oh, where you bring them the problem instead of asking them to find the problem. Yeah, I think that's one of the luxuries of getting feedback in a situation like this, where it's like the three of us who aren't really like in a writing workshop, aren't working together, can go, hey, does this make sense? Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to go, yes, but it's bad. You know, because if that's (laughs) not what you're asking, then that's not what you're asking. If you go, how does this sound? That's a whole different conversation, you know. But if it's like Jen was talking about earlier, like, is there too much character stuff here? Mm -hmm. We can go yes or no. Right. And so they can give that like really clear feedback on what you're concerned about. Can I tell you guys about a, so if we're talking about a good way to mediate sort of the, the random beast of feedback sometimes is coming with a, with a, with a fucking game plan. Okay. Can I tell you about a time when I came with a bad game plan to a workshop? Absolutely. Yes, please. I want to hear it. Jennifer was was not in this writing class, but we were at school together at uh, CSU Humboldt State University. (laughs) And it was a writing class I had to take because we all had to take one 
and they were all workshop classes because that's kind of all you can do. Uh, and it was taught by Barbara Brinson Curiel the year that she won her Philip Levine Award. Oh, yeah. Um, so that was that was very fun. But it was so the way the class worked was I think three. She did like a lecture. I think it was two days a week. So she would do a lecture, and then maybe three kids would read, or she would do a lecture for half the class, and then three kids would read. But whatever, there was a three kid a class thing. And so I had to do mine. And for some reason, I mean, I didn't write anything before and I was being real pretentious and I was like, you know what I'm going to do instead of giving this to the the class written correctly. And they were like prose poems. Cause why not? I wrote them on uh, index cards and then I taped the index cards to a piece of paper. And then I photo scanned the index cards with my like shitty handwriting on it. And they were bad poems. And I was being like a little brat truly about it. And so then the whole class like dealt with it. And then nobody like said it during the feedback. They weren't like, Oh, this is an interesting way to, to format your work. They just ignored it. So I feel like a bigger fucking asshole. (laughs) (laughs) So you had to deliberately done it, hoping someone would say, this is kind of weird, Jesse. Why didn't you type up your work? And I don't know what I was thinking. And the work did not reflect that perform I mean that that uh the presentation of it. And the work wasn't particularly good. And I think there was things in the work too that was like me trying to be like edgy. Like I think the characters were like it was like it, I don't think anybody talked, but there was like the beginning of like a mystery novel or some shit. And there was like a drunk guy obviously walking through New York, and I kept calling him Peter Falk and his fucked up eye. And I kept saying it over and over and over. And then, cause I thought I was being shocking or something. And the only thing I could remember from that, it was nobody said anything about the format, but one person said like, it's weird that he keeps saying he's got a fucked up eye. And then the person had looked up like the entomology of like when that phrase would have been used. And the writing was supposed to be like in like 61. And they're like, they didn't really use it then. And I'm like, oh, that's, I guess that's a good note. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is good, yes, for accuracy. But also that week, Chicago-based poet rapper Tim M. T. West was hanging around campus. Do you remember when he came around? I do. And he was sitting in the class. Oh. So he oh. read my piece and fed back on it too. And it was like bad. And I remember like that, like walking out, I was like, that sucked. I just made a fool of myself in front of a teacher I respected, and then like a traveling poet whose work I respected. And then the, we never talked about it again in the class. And I felt like an asshole because the whole the whole time I was given like, I thought I was giving good criticism to everybody's pieces. And I, I feel like I lost my credibility that day. You know? <laughs> that can happen, actually. So, uh, I have a question, do tend to have a persona about you, especially when it comes to... My fursona, yes. <laughs> no. God, Especially when it comes to you in writing and literature class. Yeah. Do you think that can get in the way of effective criticism? I think there's, I'm not the only one in those classes who is performing what they think they're supposed to be doing as a writer. And by that, Jesse definitely means like the tweed jacket, coffee at all times, specific pens and like notepads. (laughs) Very much... So that image, yeah, it's a cool image. Yeah, or even beyond, like just that image. There's also always like the sci-fi kid who's always 
really into it or the the, the people mm-hmm. who are always working on something constantly actually you're right they're always there is like the sci-fi kid who wears like the or like the steampunk kid who actually wears like yeah. steampunk the class stuff like that you're right yeah and or that that comes with you know what they want you to read is their their fan fiction or their universe building thing that mm-hmm. especially in undergrad because i probably was only like 24 and i was probably older than like half the class as it was so a lot of it also is you have to do that to find what the line is and then to come back. Were you able to come back from that if you had such a, if you felt like you lost the respect of people that you did? You know, I don't know if I ever did, no. But I think by that time the class was over or something and it didn't really matter. Well, and you may not have actually lost your credibility yeah. or lost. I'm still thinking about it though. Anyone's respect. <laughs> it clearly it affected you because it's not how you wanted to present your work. But yeah, what you're saying, Leah, though, is I think, I think it takes a lot of these workshops or just a lot of putting yourself out there before you can go. I don't need this wall of what I think a writer, an impenetrable writer, should look like. Uh huh. And I think that mm-hmm. is the time when feedback starts becoming helpful because it becomes more of an exchange and not just you going, fuck you, it's good, I know it's good. Whatever you say, I don't need to listen to because I know it's good because you're so afraid of the other person saying yeah. something and hurting well, you. And it's hard to be open to feedback at that time because of your age, because of your insecurity for any number of factors. And I don't think I, I – now that I think about it too, I think I wrote the stuff like that day. So I wasn't even really trying at mm-hmm. all actually jesse i have a very similar story but kind of the opposite version of it where it wasn't so much that i already had built an image for myself and very much wanted to maintain it or something of that nature it was that i didn't feel i had even gotten anyone's respect yeah. yet and i did i wanted to create that respect um i wanted people to take me seriously and i'm a fantasy writer so sometimes i feel like people pigeonhole you as writing trash or like not being able to write serious or meaningful work and that everything you write is always just allegorical and you don't know how to address real issues things like oh, wait that. a minute let me interrupt you really quickly oh. jennifer you just reminded me of something i think that was another mm-hmm. part of that performance i was doing in that workshop class i was the only me and three other people were the only fiction writers everyone else was doing ya fantasy ya fantasy oh. or sci-fi for some reason it was just it was 2011 that's mm-hmm. what everyone was doing Everyone was writing Twilight, yeah. and that's no shame in that. I just mean, like, that was, like, during its So I think a part time. of it a little bit was me going, like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, fucking Bukowski on this, which is stupid. <laughs> oh, God. I would hate to imagine you as a Bukowski clone. It's easy to do, too, I think, is the thing. Anyways, Jen, so you were the only fantasy writer, or you felt like you I were? Sur- I wasn't the only one, but I was, uh, we were outnumbered yeah. <laughs> in that class. And maybe it was because it was like a late evening class. There was a lot of adults just taking the course for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't just college students there because they were required to take it. So there was a lot of serious fiction in it. And we were to bring a chapter or a short story, either or. I brought a chapter that I wrote that morning about a werewolf story. Mm-hmm. And it was a werewolf story that I still write. I still care a lot about. I just wrote a random bullshit. I made up. <laughs> a random event to have happen where you know one of the characters has to stab another character because he's endangering their safety and like gonna get the werewolf police on their asses <laughs> so the werewolf police show up and uh, <laughs> wait a minute so is it like a real police or is it like the um the vampires in twilight oh no it's 
It's actual. I should clarify. What are they called? These are normal humans who are policing werewolves because werewolves are dangerous. And so there's like a special government branch that looks out oh, okay. for werewolves. It's kind of like... It's more like the men in black and not like, so much Michael like, Sheen. They're treated like they're, like they're on parole at all times. And so... Oh, okay. Gotcha. You know, they have like caseworkers and things like that. Like under so these wizards. caseworkers. Exactly. <laughs> I like this though. Well, so these caseworkers show up and, you know... Some caseworkers obviously are not so bad, but this particular one was extremely racist, not just anti-werewolf, but actually racist and made really racist remarks to the lead character who is a Latina and also made racist remarks to one of the Hawaiian characters and like misinterpreted him as Latino. Mm -hmm. So made like really bizarre racist remarks about Latinos to him when he's not Latino. Anyway, so that was just like a part of the story where you're supposed to learn that that caseworker is not trustworthy and is going to try and fuck them over. Mm. Anyways, the feedback that I got at the end of that class, some of it was pretty good. Like people were like, Oh, this dialogue could work better here. Or like when you say you stab someone in the stomach, just so you know, they're not going to die very quickly. So they're, you know, they're going to be on the ground, like making sounds talking, right? Like mm. if you want them to die instantaneously, stab elsewhere. I'm like, cool, thanks for, like, Murder 101 class. This is great. But also, don't ever talk to those people again if they know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, one of the feedback comments that I got that I was just like, what? Was someone was like, they literally said, why did you include real races? Werewolves are supposed to be an allegory for racism. <laughs> Which is literally my biggest fear <sighs> as a fantasy writer is to be taken or is to be interpreted as someone who can't address real world issues uh-huh. in my work because I'm writing fantasy. And I would, it's like, that was my biggest insecurity that I would, that I wouldn't be allowed to be serious. And then that person commented on that. Yeah. And I was just like, this is the worst thing I could have ever heard. And I, I wasn't like mad at myself. I was just angry at the world. I was angry at the world, not at my writing and just mad that that, but that is still something you can hear today. Well, where have you landed on that in in the years past that so you've had time to sort of process that? Wait, what? Like since that's happened, are you still mad about that? Or did 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 having that crystallization of what you were afraid of help you go, oh, that guy and whoever thinks that that is probably stupid now that I see it out loud and my worst fears. Well, and I even you know, then realize. I kind of I never I never thought that person's feedback was good feedback that i'm like yeah i need to you're right i need to take that of my story Mm -hmm. like no but it did it did i have stayed angry about that (laughs) and i'm still angry and i'll always be angry not about that specific comment or person but just the way that fantasy is pigeonholed that does bother me always just the way certain literature is taken more seriously than other literature it will always bother me ain't nothing i can do about it except yeah (laughs) yeah well, the the upside is, is it even though that is the case, it hasn't discouraged you from writing in that way. No, I'm going to write what I think I should write and what matters to me. But actually, Jesse, you know what? You might be right about one thing is that when I do receive direct <laughs> comments like that from people, I definitely laugh it off. And I'm like, oh, they're part of that group that I don't take seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I do the same to them, huh? Like, <laughs> they don't take me seriously. I don't take them seriously. We're on the same page. I mean, I think that's the one of the great dangers and one of the great like blessings of finding a group you're comfortable with workshopping anything or getting feedback with with anything, be it uh, writing or art or your just your you know um, or podcasting. Leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> is is you find those people who you feel comfortable with and you feel comfortable with their feedback and it becomes like a feedback loop. I guess that's where that phrase comes from, where you're just throwing back and forth. Oh, this is good. Here's the thing I know you have a problem with. You know, you're, you're not getting any of that that third voice that is coming from a different angle. Right. Yeah. And that can be bad to live in kind of like an echo chamber. Yeah. But I think if you truly find a group that you are comfortable with, that you do have that respect and everyone is coming at it from a point of view of helping, you know, in a perfect world, you would get to the point where that wouldn't happen, where the feedback loop wouldn't start, that you could look at the person across the table from you and say, hey, this is what I really think, but here's a suggestion. So has nothing to do with writing, but it has to do with bright sweats. One of the things that Jesse called me out on, you know, as we kind of grow and build this podcast is he'll pitch an idea to myself because we live in the same apartment. And usually my reaction, if I don't like it, is to go, no, I don't like that. And then just walk away or continue what I'm doing. But in a real constructive environment, what I could be doing is saying, you know, that doesn't quite work the way I see it. We can tweak it in this way, or maybe let's try this and actually not just give that shutdown, but to help come up with a real solution. And if you had a writing workshop, if you had a circle, that would be kind of what you strive for. That's the line between feedback and collaboration. And I think a lot of times, I think they are the same thing. And I think now that I'm saying that a lot, I think that might be the relationship, the the, the real tough workshop maybe severs a little bit is as opposed to going, we're all here to help each other and here to work with each other on each other's things. It becomes now we are here to judge what you are doing or to talk about what you're doing, but not to be working with you. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, Jesse. I really do like the idea of seeing a workshop as a collaborative effort. Rather well, and a lot than of it also is I'm effort. always thinking of comedy and I'm always thinking of improv. And though I don't do improv, I have dealt with it in the past as a kid. I st- I read the books. I, I I watch it a lot, and it's it's all predicated on the basis of just yes and. Mm-hmm. And yes and doesn't mean you like the premise. Yes and means I'm going to work with this premise. Mm-hmm. I like that. Doesn't mean that you like it. It means you're going to work with that premise. Oh, that's so yeah. good. And so I think I think what you're saying, Leah, is you have the the comfort to go essentially yes and but, which is not really, but you know, right? Finding a way to work with what you have or work with what they're giving you at what point does it cross the line to someone else heavily influencing your work? Yeah. Right. If it were like heavy, heavy collaboration, you know, they need a, to be in the byline. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do they get story by credits or do they get writing credits? <laughs> yes. Acknowledgement. Or do they just get a quick thank you at the beginning or end, you know, like, thanks for all your help, Jesse. And you like wrote half of Do them. I like you <laughs> enough to write your full name in the thank you? Or do I just put your first initial? Thanks, Jay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I I like the idea of this yes and thing because I I know that's a cle- like a thing you say in improv, but thinking about uh, utilizing that elsewhere and just in life is I don't know. That's that's really good. I like that a lot, and I kind of see what, how you could use that for yeah. you know a solution based kind of feedback. So you could just see the mistake, and you don't really have to say yes and, yeah. but you can say the problem, and here's the solution. Right, like always having the and rather than the butt because like that negates it well i think they've started doing like improv classes for business for that reason yeah alan alda does them which sounds like a joke but alan alda goes to classes and because he's like a second city guy or something and he does corporate improv now you know hawkeye from mash (laughs) 
I could not imagine doing that in my office. That would be such a shit show. Only because improv has like a certain image, and I don't know if we could all take <laughs> I mean, it seriously. Maybe that would be the point of it, though. Yeah. Well, you guys are young age tech kids. There's a chance that half of them are in an improv group they're not telling you about, too. That's true. It's way above my pay grade. <laughs> well, that kind of leads me, I guess, to my next question is what would, as I said earlier a little bit, what would your sort of fantasy alternative to the feedback experience be? Or what would like your anti-workshop workshop Dream look scenario. like? I think we talked a little bit now about it changing a little bit from immediate reflection into collaboration. But I was thinking more like like physically, and I think this is a big part of it, physically when you're in a workshop or when you're doing feedback or even when you're at work doing feedback, there is an actual like physical component to it that really can make or break something. Uh-huh. And in classes, I know you circle up. So everyone's looking at you. I know when you're doing like an online class, you're just putting it in a forum and whoever's responding is responding when they respond. You'll know who that is or what they look like or what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're at work, it could be a boss inside of a desk while you're on the other side. The last time I got fired from a job, I had to sit in in the the chair they had for clients or whatever. And it was maybe, it was probably the bottom was probably four inches off the ground. And the guys, the boss's chair was probably three feet off the ground. It was like a standing weird chair. Were you fired from preschool? It felt like it. I was like, I had like my knees by like my like ears while I was listening to him get rid of me. <laughs> and so even just like that, like I would imagine my feedback would be more like I'd want it to be a bit more casual or something where we're all on equal equal standing just starting off like that. I don't know what that would look like because it's hard not to just circle up. So part of what I, I actually like, and this is going to sound so strange, and it works in a perfect world, but it doesn't always work uh, in practice. In theory, I like the Reddit kind of model of asking for feedback where you can just, if all you have to say is good job, you can give your thumbs up, you know, upvote. And if you have something more to say, you can add something more. You don't have to sit there and type out, that looks nice. You can actually give something a little more. It does lead to, however, a setting in which people will write negative things because they can hide behind a wall. Yeah. But I like the idea of throwing it out there and not having a person in front of you so there's no one to get mad at other than the computer screen uh-huh. and you can really just parse it parses through the general niceties because they're just taking the form of up or down well then if you're talking about like reddit you would only post that in our feedback so people that want, are there are the ones that want to be there right so i can see how that might be helpful yeah in a perfect world that would be really nice if you really could just have like anonymous feedback and feel safe doing that and feel like everyone is going to be secure and trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Right. And in, in a perfect world, you'd be getting feedback from that, you know, you would never ask before you wouldn't have to, you get that third perspective that you normally don't hear, but you know, that's not truly how it, it's how not how it, it works. ends up panning out at all. It, it pans out into like no. people posting really offensive shit and then posting like memes about how shit you are. And then, <laughs> <laughs> right, and getting right. downvoted uh, until you like feel like deeply insecure. <laughs> or if it's compulsory feedback, it's that post you always did and everyone always did, where you go, "I like that you talked about the thing you talked about," just to get to you know the the two hundred words you have to 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 post the feedback. Yeah, there's or that, and then you can also right. imagine like a lot of people 
I just last minute. Just well, and if it were literally Reddit, I could like it, kind of saying like kind of memeish shit to you know be funny, and it's more about their comment being hilarious and getting upvotes rather than yeah. genuine feedback for you. Well, that's that's that goes back to the performativity of feedback. I mean, it goes back both ways. You know, I was in that class. I was performing, being this writerly edgy piece of shit but i also was i feel like i was maybe doing that when i was responding to people too so it's also getting to the point where nobody is performing right and that just comes i guess with with comfort and with knowing that the other person's not going to be mean right or if they are there's a reason and i think that's why i've been more guarded in my own writing like in fiction and that sort of writing because i have a, a big sense of imposter syndrome it showed up a little bit last week but it I think it got edited out where I do get really self-conscious that I did not go to college, that I have a high school diploma and that's it. But I do consider myself very accomplished in what I've done with my life. Mm -hmm. And I like writing. And while I may not be a great writer, I enjoy doing it. But I felt a lot more comfortable last year writing a big project proposal for work and getting feedback and editing on that than I have on anything that I've written for fun. Yeah. And I I don't think just for the the nature of this podcast and our conversation, it, we are talking about primarily about writing, but there's also, yeah, that's, that's a perfect example. I don't feel like I have to perform to be a, a competent businesswoman, but I do have to perform to be a writer. Yeah. And see, I couldn't, I couldn't do it vice versa. I'm hardly a writer and I'm less of a businessman. You know, <laughs> The cat in her tie has more business experience. Yeah. than you. So it's the imposter syndrome issue. I think that's a part of it. I don't think that is, in any way, all of it, or even a majority of it. I see. I think that's one of those things, though, that also happens with experience, with just doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a twofold thing. And that's just getting used to the motions and used to the feeling you're going to go through. And then also, you've done enough that now you're like, I've done enough. And now I'm supposed to be here because I've done what I thought I had to do. Right. I may not have uh, come out with the paper, but I've put in the time. And then there's also, on that same point, you also have to know when to say no. If, if where you're getting feedback from is never positive, not positive, but you're never feeling good afterwards, the the person or whoever's feedback, giving you feedback is just being negative just for the sake of being negative, you have to be aware of that too. Right. Right. Like the person who's always going to play devil's advocate no matter what when you ask life advice or something. Yeah. Well, I don't always think it, it has to be that person. I know chemically I have a tendency to think that people that are telling me things that are meant to help me are attacking me. And that's not what they mean. And that's not what I want to take from it. But that's what my brain is telling me is happening. Yeah. And so I think just in general, if you're not liking a majority of the feedback you're receiving, you need to step back and look at it and figure out why that is. Yeah, because that could be you, that could be them, it could be. That's true. And you know, there are like mental health to take into consideration when talking about feedback it is hard for you, then yeah, it's really important to take time for yourself and really, you know, like with those cognitive behavioral therapy questions, you ask yourself, like, yeah, challenging your own thoughts, like, are they insulting me? Do they want to help me? Like asking yourself, I have to do that all the time, man. Those I have, I actually have on my phone, a little app that has a full list of all those questions. And I open it up and ask those questions to myself all the time. I have it in a notepad. Absolutely. Yeah. That must also then be my, my that because I, I think about the feedback process a lot. When I was helping teach classes, I would always try to teach kids how to do it correctly. And I think that might go back, well, now that you said it, Leah, to growing up with social anxiety disorder and finding that the, the feedback criticism 
section when it's when it's kind of sealed inside of an academic area is is a way where I feel like my anxieties are maybe manifested in a protected environment, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Go a little deeper on that, if you can. When I hear people talk about feedback and about what they're worried about if they go into a workshop class or if they're going to talk to a mentor or their supervisor or whatever, are the thoughts that go through my head every day all the time when I'm speaking or around anybody. Mm-hmm. Now I go, oh, we're in, we're in a workshop. I feel the same thing I've always felt, the same fear I've always felt. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to openly talk about it that I don't think I can talk about in other avenues. Like if I'm at Arby's, I can't go, hello, cash register person. I had to memorize my order before I came here on my phone so I could say it correctly to you. And even that I did wrong. Uh, and I'm sure you're noticed and I'm sure you think I'm drunk now because I, I said it wrong. So you're probably going to call the, the police and, you know, like. What Arby's are you going to? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and the, the, that, those sorts of spinning out things. But if we're in a class where I'm afraid of that and then they do it back to me and I'm right and then we leave it at the door because we're in a workshop, then that's an interesting way to encounter that without having to to live with that fear, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's a roundabout way of saying it, I guess. So you would you would do better if um, you were constantly surrounded by twenty people, also with social anxiety, doing the exact same thing as you? No, I was <laughs> in the master's program. I mean, no, yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, but I, I think I think maybe it just so is a way. It's a way for me to theorize mm-hmm. those motions in a way that's pointing artistically and not just about how I'm uncomfortable walking by a group of of twelve year olds. Do you know what I mean? Like. You lost me there. Because they're bullies, Leah. They will watch you. Oh, and judge well, you. a lot of that is too, because I know I was as a 12 year old. <laughs> and I think that's the other thing is, is, is when I'm actually criticizing somebody's work, I have to make an effort to not be hypercritical because I can. Um, if you look at any of the books I ever had through school, if you look at anything anyone gives me, I can sit down and go, I'm going to break this apart from toe to tip. That's a Bart and just be like, let's figure this out. And then I give it to somebody they go like, oh, you hated it. And I go, no, I, I liked it a lot. They're like, you have a note on every, well, yeah, you want me to look at it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think I'm afraid of that all the time. And it's just an avenue where I can deal with it. I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's bad. But I know that I've been out of school two years. I'm still thinking about feedback, feedback philosophies, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So you think a lot about feedback philosophies, but was there any, other than the day that you feel like you kind of embarrassed yourself was there any feedback you received that you think really stuck with you and really helped you or made you steer clear of something let's go with jen to talk about that because i've been talking for a bit but i do have a i do have a thing to say about any kind of feedback that, that kind of stuck that... with you yeah i remember things that jennifer said they told this to me and i think i remember better than she does um, like didn't you have like a a reviewer that told you to like add more sex scenes holy shit like i remember that yes I did. <laughs> um, that I remember that now that you said that, and I will bring that up now. Holy shit. That was the <laughs> most unsettling because that wasn't just that the werewolf story? a member of my class. No, that was not a werewolf story. This was actually, I wrote uh, contemporary fiction. It was, you know, current day. And uh, that was my professor who gave me that feedback. My male professor who asked me to write more sex scenes. Me, a 19-year-old girl. Ugh. I feel like a professor should know when to absolutely not say that bullshit. But anyway, and I don't think his intention was to suggest anything between him and his students or anything. It was not coming from that kind of place. It was literally just coming from 
a specific type of reader, him, like his group of like whoever reads things looking for graphic sex scenes, that's that's who he was as a reader. And he wanted everything that he read in the class to, you know, satisfy his like reading desires, I guess. Yeah. So he couldn't perceive an audience where I could write a love story that didn't involve a sex scene. And these are short stories that we wrote. I wrote a short story about a girl dealing with the heartbreak of her lover leaving her and not even saying a single word, like ghosting her. Before I knew that was a word, you know, her boyfriend had ghosted her and she was fucking heartbroken. And that that was the whole story. It was her being fucking heartbroken. And he was like, well, why isn't there any sex in it? And I was just like, what the fuck? There's not even another character. (laughs) (laughs) So I rewrote it in order to get the grade that I needed in the class. I rewrote it where she remembers having sex with him. Like, you know, flashback scene. That is insane. And he actually commented and was like, oh, wow, this like dramatically improves the story. And like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, weirdo, like. And I can I can see how it dramatically improves the scene with her partner, like you know, flashback to that partner existing, so we know who uh-huh. she's missing. But it, I really don't think that it absolutely needed to be a sex scene. I mean, that's just not that there's anything wrong with that, <laughs> but just to have that be an, a specific expectation. That, that is strange. strange. Probably the the biggest piece of feedback I've gotten is I tend to is that I tend to beat an argument to death that even after I've made my point. I've shown all my my evidence and and I've closed everything up. I still can't until someone says yes, you're right. I have to keep going at it. And that every time I get that, it slowly chips away at the part of me that wants to keep arguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't think of truly any specific um, pieces of advice I've ever gotten. That being said, <laughs> I'm not good with change. I'm not good with feedback. And I'm, I'm find it very hard sometimes this to, to not be a brat about those things. That being said, those things still do. I still do hear them in some way. Mm-hmm. So the best sort of criticism for me is one I don't realize I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> That's not interesting. That's the most Jesse statement he could have made. This is this is like a it's like a Buddhist mantra. Um, <laughs> I like that though to imagine sort of it's like sneaking in vegetables with pork. Yeah, or putting a pill in some peanut butter for a dog, you know. (laughs) Because I don't do well with (laughs) tough love. Nope. And I think especially when you're dealing in a situation, be it writing or even if you're like with therapists, I've had this example sometimes with they go, "I'm a man talking to a man. You know what I got to do? I'm older than this guy. I got to beat him up about it." And I shut down. I'm like, this doesn't work. I'm not coming back. So I need something a little bit that's going to trick me. That being said, you shouldn't have to trick me. And that's my own fault. Coming in and having to put this responsibility on the reviewer to finesse me into listening. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's good to be self-aware that that's a kind of intense expectation. But it's also a valid sort of thing to encourage in all people who want to give feedback is to kind of figure out a way to say it that resonates with people and respects them without making them feel like they're being picked apart. And that's actually a completely valid way to try and help someone. Um, It always reminded me of that Emily Dickinson poem. We're going here on this episode. Um, uh, Fragment 1263. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies too bright for our infirm delight. The truth's superb surprise. 
I just like the tell the, all the truth, but tell it slant. I've always thought about that a lot. Oh, yeah. God, that's so good. I love that. She's so good. Um, that's it. That's the best yeah, way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I can't. We can't say it better. There's. We don't need to put that down or unpack it. Like it says it right there. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, yeah. I think that is valuable. So feedback is is tough. Really, feedback is, we, is tough. I don't know. I think for me, um, overall, I feel like I've handled most feedback well for my writing. But you know, even with the like sex story and all that, like the guy asking for that, those things are like weird, quirky stories. Same with the werewolf guy. You know, those are like quirky, weird feedbacks I've gotten. The only feedback I've ever gotten that has stayed with me and um, made me insecure uh, is one that I received from a teacher who told me I was lying. Whoa. And that has like always stayed with me is that I couldn't, I wrote a true story about living with my blind grandmother and about the responsibility of that and how a lot of the time people would pity me when they hear that. And I would always feel really weird about that as a child because I felt my life was fantastic and I didn't feel like I was lacking at all. While it was happening, I felt completely normal. I felt the same as everyone else who had a lot more. Um, so I would always be really confused when they'd say like, wow, you're so brave or shit like that. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just, uh, what? And she told me I was <laughs> lying. She told me that there was no way that I felt that way and that I'm like covering my ass or like whatever. She went on a pretty big feedback rant uh she wasn't like loud or rude or shouting but it was a lengthy amount of feedback basically saying that what i wrote was in no way uh, could in no way be true when it was literally a true story about my childhood and for me that stuck with me for a long time because it made me insecure about um myself as a human Uh being for one (laughs) it was really intense feedback but also it made me feel like i'm not a good writer if when i write the truth doesn't sound true like I can't convey it in a way that sounds human or something it sounds artificial and that just makes me feel shitty that I couldn't make something sound normal now have has that has that affected your work since then in like sort of significant way is that why maybe as much as you don't like it maybe you have had a sort of bend towards the allegorical well I I wrote fantasy long before this as well um so fantasy is just part of uh, what I love to read and what I love to write. It's just fun. But I think that you are right. It actually makes me very uncomfortable writing true stories. Like I remember I was in a writing, uh, creative writing course in college. And the first day the teacher had us just for fun, write a story about what we did over the summer, like a very basic thing and read it to the class. And I was so humiliated by what I read that I dropped oh. out of the class that day. Oh I literally God. dropped out. I couldn't handle reading a real story. It was too much. So I, yeah, like memoir shit. No, nah, I'm never going to write that. I can't handle it because when criticism is about writing that is that personal for me, it's way, way too hard to hear. I cannot hear it. Yeah. It's so bad. So that's where I'm very weak as a writer receiving. Feedback. I think that's, that's not unusual. I mean, that's where you needed a teenage brat character to take you through it like i did yeah i don't even know if i could do with like finesse like any kind of even when people like said like positive feedback about the story i still felt weird that they were commenting on it like it felt like they i don't know it was strange i mean even reading memoirs kind of has that that odd feeling to it where it's true it might not be quite true you Telling the truth when writing without putting up any sort of wall behind a character or behind a genre, that's just hard in general. 
Yeah, and you, you don't see a lot of that stuff, and you see a lot of that stuff less and less. And I'm not, I'm not super positive as to why that is. But being truly confessional, I think, is is tough. And feedback for that, I imagine, is close to impossible. Yeah, how do you give someone feedback on their life without doing what you, what they, what people did toward you? Right, and I think yeah, taking a shot at the at the pre- like the premise is a little weird, but. You know, giving feedback on the structure or the tone or any of that, it, yeah, I think you could probably yeah. manage that delicately. But yeah, I think you would have to handle it a lot more delicately than you would complaining about the werewolf police or some shit, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you're coming from a place where you feel like a scum, already your feedback's probably not going to be helpful for that person because, you know, you're not the intended audience if you're not liking it enough to... Well, and then there's that thing people, too, and especially know? I think about you talking about your more personal work is I've found you've kind of got to learn a little bit what is not working and what is just making the room uncomfortable. Because I think when people get to a place of discomfort, for whatever reason that is, they tend to say, oh, that's bad, or they they don't like it because they're uncomfortable. Um, Or they say they do like it because it makes them uncomfortable to make it go away. That's true. And so I've always found sometimes when I'm putting myself on a limb and Part that lands weird with people that's usually the part i like the most and that's usually the part that later sort of grows and sticks with with people the longest mm-hmm. yeah that's actually pretty that's pretty meaningful and i don't want to be like the sort of edgy person who says like yeah your work's gotta no, make people no. uncomfortable but i mean there is something to be said about the fact that like when someone's feeling sort of jolted or feeling kind of emotionally intense that, that that's a powerful moment in a story or a poem or yeah i mean you don't have to be shocking whatever. or anything like that but i remember always like writing things and there would be yeah, like yeah. a line in the middle that i thought was really funny and then it was funny and the rest of it was dramatic and everyone goes well that was weird you had that fucking joke in the middle oh. like yeah because that part was funny mm-hmm. to me i don't know well then okay so get <laughs> try to get on the other side of that yes how do you give feedback when your reaction to something is so visceral be it you really really liked it and it really really resonated with you or it made you very uncomfortable or it made you very sad. Like, how do you push past that personal thing and still give constructive feedback? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think you have to look inside and ask what is the response and what is it? But then also, is that response good or bad? Is that response what you think the writer's trying to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that. It really comes down to, is did they want me to feel this way? Or am I feeling this way by accident? And that's maybe a problem Mm -hmm. with the story that they didn't intend. So that would be a big part of it for me is just, I would probably just ask them, honestly, is like, did you intend for me, the reader, to feel this way when I got to this moment in the, you know, story? Did you want me to, you know, feel angry? Did you want me to feel disgusted? I remember reading in my class, someone wrote about a guy from the, from the perspective of a rapist and um he was an unreliable narrator which um made it really hard you know, like mm-hmm. really challenging to read but um you know there were times where the unreliability of the narrator wasn't clear so you felt like you were just reading some rapist dude's like opinion and you were like holy shit this is gross like i don't want to read that and so like you needed so the feedback the a lot of people in the class gave was like we want it a little more clear that this yeah. dude's a piece of garbage. Like, uh, not just because we know rapists are bad, but like, we literally want to know that, like, within the framework of the story, yeah. he cannot be trusted. So, um, but like, I mean, overall, that story was actually really, 
though, just as a side note, they did a really good job overall. And um, it, that's a good example of when making someone uncomfortable can be really effective because, you know, it was just, it was a good look at how disgusting some people see. Can. And I just in general, <laughs> that's, that's the thing I have the, I have trouble sitting through. Like even when it comes to, even when it comes oh, God, to television yeah. shows, I never got on the the Breaking Bad bandwagon because I really couldn't bring myself to to root for this bad person. That's it. Yeah, you should never feel like you're rooting for a piece of garbage. That's also the challenge yeah. with Lolita. Yeah. We talked about that last week. Sometimes yeah. Lolita is misread as like the dude you're supposed to be rooting for him, and like no, dude, like that dude is a piece of shit. You should not root for him. Right. And anyway, and I think it's a little different depending on how it's being handled, you know, like the feedback you gave about, you need to make sure that it's clear that we can't trust this narrator. I think there are a lot of times when, you know, people for writing purposes or uh, personal purposes don't take that feedback. And they do try to push you just to push you and just to elicit a reaction, whether or not they want to teach you something or tell you something with that reaction. Yeah, and if that's their intention, I I don't I truly don't have any time for that anymore. I mean, I think there's been like that story earlier that I was telling you about. I was trying to just be uncomfortable for the sake of being uncomfortable. I was trying to make people uncomfortable for the sake right. of making people. Which I think it's one of those things where I was on the inside yeah. track for so long, and now I can see it, and I don't like it. Um, you know, it's it's the difference between you know, um, trying to think of an example like a sort of slasher movie that's just bad and mean towards women just for the that that's what it's doing uh-huh. as opposed to something like revenge from right. this year or this is where i leave you or or even mandy to an extent where it's really brutal and i think revenge is one of the bloodiest movies i've ever seen and that is a rape revenge movie where this this lady kills her att- assaulters but it's it's done by like a feminist woman director everyone involved with it is and there's a reason that they're making you so uncomfortable Mm-hmm. And because as the viewer, they know that you haven't lived this, or if you have, this is how it feels. Right. And trying to sort of push you enough. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think you should have, I, yeah, receiving feedback, giving feedback on things that are challenging uh, to even just watch or read. I mean, like you, Leah, I actually avoid that content. Even if I've heard the story is strong, I still avoid it because I just kind of like how Jesse doesn't have time for this edginess for the sake of edginess i kind of don't have time for edginess for the sake of like powerful messages it's hard it's exhausting (laughs) well there's no there's no dearth of things to read watch or whatever like you're not it's not the only like breaking bad is not the only tv show right yeah (laughs) and it is very good just so we're clear the writing for breaking bad strong but Eh, i I think i liked it when it was on (laughs) i need to actually watch every i have not watched every single episode like many <laughs> long series it caught a lot of the episodes but then i'll miss a few but i won't worry about it and just keep going so have you guys seen the new netflix original you yeah! no, no not yet it, so that is another one where it's told from an unreliable narrator is that the girl with the one with the girl from pretty little liars i honestly i don't know i've never seen pretty it's little got liars badly in it the she was um shit i don't remember her name now she was the bi one on pretty little liars i haven't watched that yet well yeah so i i watched some of it i have not finished the entire series yet but uh it's a perfect example of something told from an unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. and honestly i i honestly was not going to watch it because it's 
told from the perspective of a stalker. And I was just like, no, no fucking way am I going to spend that many hours with a stalker. That is mm-hmm. such an exhausting way to spend my entertainment hours, you know? She doesn't have time for those. She doesn't have time to watch Riverdale, no. Um, well, we just did the same thing. We just <laughs> watched, because I had not seen it, even though it's right up my alley. Um, we just watched the first season of True Detective. Jesse rewatched it and I watched it for the Oh, I w- I've been wanting to watch that for such a long time and I've never gotten around to that one. And they, same thing, they established right out the gate that there's a certain amount of this that you can believe and a certain amount of it that you can't. And they do a really fun job of oscillating between you wanting to believe them and you, you know, wanting to go along with this kind of fantastical story and then trying to bring you back to reality. I, I enjoyed it. And I thought that that was a way to kind of deal with protagonists that were less than squeaky clean and less than perfect in a way that you don't end up hating yourself for wanting to see them see this all the way through. Yeah, I think that that works really well. And I also think something I realized while watching you for me was that you don't really need to root for the main character to win. It's yeah. also fun to root for the main character to fucking fail. <laughs> <laughs> fucking fail. Okay, well, I think that's a better place than anywhere to call it a night to close up shop on the Right Sweats workshop. Uh, as always, follow us on Spotify, uh-huh. Google Podcasts, yep. Stitcher, I. I iPod, what's it called? iTunes Podcast? Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast, Instagram, WordPress, Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else, guys? Do you guys have anything you want to plug? Your own social media. Facebooks? Our own Facebook? Yeah. Yeah, you want to add me personally? No. no. Yeah, please don't. Add Jen. Um, and until next time, happy workshops, guys. Bye. Bye.